Portable Clay Oven, circa 17th century BCE. Artist unknown. Annabel Godfrey discovered this impressive specimen during a trip to the Aegean archipelago. According to her journal entries from that time, she had been exploring a pockmarked cliffside on one of the islands and happened across the ruins of an ancient domicile carved into the rock. Nearly everything within it had succumbed to the ravages of time and the elements. But amongst the rubble, under centuries worth of dust and grime, sat this small oven miraculously untouched. Delighted by her find, she hauled it back up the cliff to show her travel guides, an impressive feat given the object's weight and her slight stature. She did strain her back in the process, but according to her journal, it's a small price to pay for the sake of discovery. Her guides marveled at the find and pressed Annabelle for details regarding the exact location of where she found it. They were no doubt wondering if a previously unknown ancient urban center lay hidden nearby. But despite her detailed directions, no one was able to find the structure again. Not even Annabelle, much to her chagrin. I may as well have plucked it from the sky for all the luck we've had in finding the place, she wrote in a letter home. I would be fully put out if not for the excellent quality of the item. Later in the same letter, she writes about the piece. It's really quite stunning. The Greek archaeologists are working their magic on it as we speak, both to clean it and to estimate its age. All I can tell you with any certainty is that it is old, and that it is decorated both with paint and carvings in iconography of the goddess Hestia. A roaring fire in a hearth, supplicants pouring libations of wine at a feast, that sort of thing. I've become very fond of it, and I do hope that the Greek authorities will let me bring it back to the estate. Finder's fees or something like that. If not, I may take note of the dimensions and have an ottoman crafted to replicate it, for it mirrors the size and style of such an object quite closely. In fact, I thought that's what it was until someone more knowledgeable on the subject than I disabused me of that notion. But it's a squat little thing, with three legs and a flat top. The hollow compartment within it perhaps should have clued me into its purpose, but I merely assumed it was a highly practical storage area. As it would turn out, the Greek authorities did allow Annabelle to bring the clay oven home with her, on the condition that she repatriate it every ten years. She happily agreed to those terms, and thus, the display you see before you. Now, you may be noticing some differences between what Annabelle described and the item in front of you. Not in the shape or size of the object, that remains unchanged, but a difference in the decorative imagery. The change has been gradual over the item's many years here at the estate, which is likely why it went unremarked for as long as it did. But you will see that the Hestia iconography that Annabelle mentioned in her letter is nowhere to be found. In its place is now an intricate and interweaving geometric pattern. Harsh lines and angles, concentric rings that play tricks on the eye. And if you look very closely and stand very still, you will see that these carvings are moving through the clay in a hypnotic and ancient dance. More ancient, you somehow instinctively know, than the object upon which they move. Careful now. Best to keep your distance. That's what the glass case that you just bumped into is for. You see, over the years, many patrons have reported seeing something in the dark interior of the oven. Something that writhes 
and glitters and beckons. Often, these patrons would also smell the scent of baking bread wafting out of the opening, tempting them to reach inside and take it. In earlier days, before the glass case, some did. As I said, it's best to keep your distance. Attention, Godfrey guests. Attention. We have an update in the ongoing situation with Green Woman Emerges from Mid-Century Modern Wall. Our staff reports that she has moved yet again. This time, her head has turned. Where once she held her face away from any prying eyes, she has now turned it toward the wall in front of her. The wall from which she still extends outward, her body now forming a perfect L-shape. Though her profile can now be partially viewed, it remains difficult to make out any details about her face, given her location within the room. Though one patron may have gotten a much closer look than any of our staff has managed thus far. We think. The patron in question was standing in the closest possible spot relative to the woman when her latest movement occurred. And much like what happened to the investigating staff when the green woman first arrived here in 1956, this patron promptly suffered a mental breakdown. Our staff are currently searching for the emergency collection of Rorschach ink blots to help aid in communication with the patron, as these items have proven helpful in the past. For as of right now, the patron is uttering absolute nonsense, scattered with occasionally intelligible words like photograph and living room. In the meantime, we have cordoned off the viewing area, as we can now definitively say that these developments are in fact cause for concern. As always, please stay tuned for further updates. Wisdom Tree, 1950. Jasmine Rushbrook, Oil on Canvas. In a body of work famous for its integral use of color, the vibrant palette in this piece is particularly effective and striking. The composition of the scene is deceptively simple. A solitary tree grows from a small hill that overlooks an expanse of ocean. The sun hovers above the horizon, the bright yellow of its form visible through the tree's branches, and the bending of the light from the setting sun casts the sky and the wisps of clouds within it in brilliant shades of purples and pinks. Against this dying light, the dark silhouette of the tree and the hill from which it grows are even more pronounced. Rushbrook painted this piece during one of her and Annabelle's rough patches, and was created during the brief period when Rushbrook temporarily moved off of the estate grounds. The separation wasn't long, a matter of weeks if their correspondence from that time creates an accurate sequence of events. But as Rushbrook wrote to Annabelle upon her departure, We have seen this cycle before, my dear, and we both know that there can be no way forward in any meaningful way until cooler heads prevail. And so I shall take the time that I need, and trust that you will do the same. We both know that nothing but ill will can spring forth if we do not. Your flower, Jasmine. The maturation and deepening of their relationship is visible in this piece, particularly when compared to Rushbrook's creations during similar ruptures earlier in the pair's history. For example, consider the muted palette and feeling of despair in Ruins, 1940 which you saw earlier on your tour. 
Now compare that with the contemplative yet vibrant scene here in Wisdom Tree. The intervening decade between these works suggests, perhaps, that Rushbrook, and one may assume Annabelle as well, had learned the ebb and flow of their relationship, how to weather the occasional storm, knowing that calmer seas waited on the other side. Including the word wisdom in the title of the work feels both deliberate and inevitable. It is fitting it belongs to a piece later on in Rushbrook's career, for such a thing can only be attained with the passage of time. She later said of this work that the act of creating it was an exercise in trying to wrangle her own heightened emotions into stillness, to manifest an artificial calm within the painting, and thereby encourage a genuine one within herself a thing she admitted she would likely not have been capable of even a few years earlier. Whether or not she succeeded in taming her own wild feelings with this work's creation, only Rushbrook could tell you, but the final result upon the canvas suggests, perhaps, that she did. The serenity of the scene, contrasted with the violent burst of color, suggests a mind or a heart in turmoil, but also a confidence that a solution could be found in time. And perhaps most revealing of all is the darkness of the tree and the land from which it springs, for from darkness, the personal kind at least, is where wisdom grows. Thank you for listening to the Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knudsen, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. It was produced on unceded Tongva, Chumash, and Keech territory. Enjoying your trip to the estate? Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And consider telling a friend about us. Or two. Or three. Or everyone you know. To keep up with The Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide, or visit our website, thegodfreyaudioguide.com. For Godfrey merchandise, visit our online store, thegodfreyaudioguide.threadless.com. And finally, if you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thegodfreyaudioguide. In addition to our various membership tiers, you'll also find full episode transcripts available as public posts for any who wish to read them. Until next time, friends, see you back at the museum. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Solved by Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr at 224bbaker or on our website 224bbaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.